Good day, good afternoon, good whenever it is you are listening to this. Thank you very much for listening to this. You are checking out yet another Woke and Baked. And today, our guest is Jesse Bjorkman. Jesse represents District 3, the Nikiski area, on the Kenai Peninsula Borough Assembly. Jesse is a teacher, a fisherman, a radio talk show host, a conservative, a conservationist, conservationist, it's not even a word, is it? I don't think it's a word. I think it's conservationist. I don't know. Whatever it is, we'll probably get corrected on it uh, in the comments. And that's totally cool because I am not infallible. That being said, I am grateful that Jesse took the time to sit down and talk to us. It becomes abundantly clear in the conversation that Jesse and I have a very different sense of humor or perhaps he's so used to speaking in front of groups of people that he says what he means and he's very clear in his thoughts and opinions and his views and we are grateful for him sharing them with us here. All right, so he's one of the smartest people I know. I think I've said that. Maybe I haven't. Either way, when we talk about the grown-ups in the room, when I talk about the grown-ups in the room, I am grateful that he's one of them. All right. I ask him questions. I think he has the best, most intelligent, and well-thought-out answers on the particular topic. He answers them, and I'm grateful for him answering. On this episode, we discuss the events of January 6th and the March on Washington, a.k.a. Caracas on the Potomac, legislating during COVID school budgets and coming back from the long spring break. Oh yeah, we also talk about commercial fishing and recent legislation which benefits Bob Penny and the Kenai Sport Fishing Association, as well as Bob Penny's relationship with our dear governor. All right, I'd like to thank our supporters, Iron Asylum, located at 35165 KB Drive, behind Save You More. You can find them on Instagram and Facebook. The gym's open 24 hours a day, so if at like 2 o'clock in the morning you're like, I really just want to get jacked, I know a place you can go to get super duper jacked. Give Brandon a call at 953-4720 for more information. I like Iron Asylum. They're like a cult, but the good kind of cult. Alright, moving on. Red Run Cannabis Company. Located on the Kenai Spur Highway, they are the growers of fine cannabis and the brewmeisters of three different types of hashade. They also make can of caps, honey sticks, and peanut butter. Now, because Red Run has their own manufacturing facility, nobody can beat their prices. Now, in store, they also stock edibles from folks like Lady Grey, amongst quite others. Again, they're located on the Kenai Spur Highway, but if you live in any of the fine boroughs, towns, cities, spots in Alaska with a half-decent dispensary, Hashade is probably available there. Now, check out RedRunCannabisCompany.com for more information. Also, check out Weed Maps for Red Run's physical location and what they've got in store. Be sure to ask their bud tender what specials they've got going on today. So whatever day you're listening to this, you can go to Red Run's physical location on the Kenai Spur Highway and you can 
what their special is. Because if it's Wednesday, you go in on Wednesday, it's pre-roll Wednesday, which means you get a dollar off your joint. So good for you. Get a buck, save a buck. You're a grown-up. You deserve to get some good savings in your life. 2021 is off to a shit start. And these are kind of the things that we talk about on this podcast, this particular episode. But we talk about ways to make things better. Another thing that we make abundantly clear in this sit-down is that Mr. Bjorkman has a completely different sense of humor than Jake and I do. Maybe it's because he's a functional adult. We may never know. But nonetheless, we're grateful for his time. Thanks for checking out the podcast. Shout out to the Schnitzel Bomber for making good food. I'm very grateful for their good food. They make very, very good food. I have no idea what their special is, but I recommend going in there and getting something poutine. Or you go in there and you just tell them, hey, get creative. Wax philosophical on my food. And you'll get something really cool that you've probably never had before. And therefore, you get a whole different mouth experience. It's a new mouth experience for you. Congratulations. Oh yeah, one last thing. This music is courtesy of Skate God, a.k.a. Skatey P on a Skatey Perry beat tape. Have a great day. What is happening? What in the in the world of of North v South, uh, Grays versus Blues, Red versus Blues, uh, imaginary team versus imaginary team? What's going on? Right. I mean, yeah, this is some some Marvin Gaye stuff here. That's for sure. Um, yeah, to to think that. Um, anything that happened in our nation's capital moved uh, the Trump supporters closer to their goal that they had at the, at the start of the day um, it would be wildly incorrect. I think we saw a storming of our nation's capital unlike we, we haven't seen in this country since probably Andrew Johnson, I'm sorry, Andrew Jackson was president. Um, that was certainly not positive for President Trump, uh, definitely not positive for any kind of conservative ideals um, that many of us share in this country, whether those be protection of the First Amendment, um, protection of the Second Amendment, or just straight up access to our government as citizens, as people who want to go and talk to our congressional delegation at the national level or state legislators at the state level. Um, not, not only did our nation's capital get overrun today, but you had state capitals as well. Uh, states like Kansas and others are reporting that they're having their capitals overrun as well. This is not good. This is not good and, and only, uh, I think, adds fuel to the fire for, for those who would seek to restrict the freedoms that we now know and uh, and enjoy and, and mostly use really responsibly. And uh, it's really troubling. Um, many of the steps that were taken today by some of the president's supporters and, and likely some, some bad actors from the other side as well. However, um, just because you have, have bad actors uh, from the left that joined just to create more chaos, most likely, um, although that's just straight conjecture, um, doesn't excuse the fact that the, much of today's frenzy and, and storming of the, the Capitol was, was really fomented by 
President Trump and his supporters. Do you think that uh, President Trump bears some responsibility for what his supporters did today? If so, why? And if not, why not? Well, Bill, I think, you know, people are ultimately responsible for their own actions. Like that's that's a big part of of what I believe in, in personal responsibility. And and you have to take responsibility for what folks, you know, do after after you have communicated to them for months about um, a set of circumstances that is not the same set of circumstances that have been made in honest pleadings in a courtroom, um, which is kind of a fascinating thing about this whole scenario is you have one set of circumstances kind of laid out in public for the public to kind of consume, but decisions that would help Donald Trump remain as president can't get made by the public. They need to be made by courts. And so where the rubber meets the road in talking um, to the decision makers who could provide some relief to the president. And, and I want to see Donald Trump remain president as much as anyone. I mean, I voted for him and I, I would much prefer Donald Trump to remain as president rather than Joe Biden. Um, but claims of widespread voter fraud, um, claims that would provide serious relief to the president were not made in court. And I think there's probably good reason for that um, because there are serious consequences when you try to mislead a judge or mislead officers of the court, whereas there are, are far fewer tangible consequences for uh, you know, misleading the public. Did you, when this day started, did you think it might end like this? No. Nope. No, I, I was pretty shocked. I was, you know, working, talking with some kids, uh, talking about my outdoor ed class, a little bit about World War One with uh, – some U.S. history kids, and then had C-SPAN on in the background, and all of a sudden I'm hearing, you know, kerfuffle on the House floor, and the the, the House member from Arizona that was uh, testifying or or speaking at the time looked very very anxious. Um, he called for order, and then kind of all hell broke loose in the Capitol, basically as. You know, you have the Capitol Police have been overrun. Um, thankfully, um, thankfully, the Capitol Police didn't didn't provide more resistance. I mean, the more resistance that they could have provided would have been shooting people. Um, one one lady was shot, uh, which I don't understand why at the, at the current with the video that I've seen about why a, a gun had to be shot in that situation. But uh, you just looking through that one piece of video that's out there on network news right now. Um, but no, certainly this was not expected. Um, I think the folks that were up there on the Capitol today are very fortunate that the vast majority of them uh, are still, are still healthy. I think that that the Capitol police, if they had wanted to mount a much stronger response, they likely could have and, and been 
rather justified in doing that. Um, I'm seeing conjecture on the internet right now that, oh, if the Capitol Police wanted to, you know, wanted to keep people out, they could have. Yes, you're right, they could have. And, and the way that they would do that is by shooting people. And, and I, I'm very thankful that that didn't happen today um, on, a, on a larger scale. Um, but as it is, we have one, one lady that was shot and three that died of medical emergencies during during uh, during what went on, and, and that uh, that's not uncommon when tear gas is deployed, when pepper spray is deployed, and and those things, are, although they are kind of billed as non-lethal, they kill people. Long term, uh, what do you think uh, some of the 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 consequences are of? something like storming the Capitol during the uh, electoral vote. I'm, I'm concerned that Americans are going to have less access to their government and, and that ultimately the government will be less accountable to the people. I think that, um, you know, the, the goals that the, the Trump supporters and, and Donald Trump had at the outset of this day um, they went backwards toward achieving them. Um, I think ultimately the swamp becomes more insulated um, under the guise of, of safety, under the guise of security, and that people are now going to be removed even further from the, the seats of government uh, where decisions are made. And that's not good. That's not a positive outcome. Um, I don't think this day um, reflects well on uh, the legacy of Donald Trump. Donald Trump has done some amazing things in his time as president. Um, the Operation Warp Speed and, and getting uh, a working vaccine out to combat the uh, COVID-19 virus, an, an incredible accomplishment, really a, really an incredible accomplishment that Donald Trump and his administration deserves a lot of credit for, for getting a lot of the red tape out of the way. I think that, that that's diminished as well as, as other things about, man, like, we went four years without like escalating wars around the world. That's incredible. Like that's a really big deal. That's a huge accomplishment. We don't hear a lot about that. Um, and unfortunately, I think you're going to hear less about it now because of, of what happened today and today's events. Um, so I think where we go from here is if people want to move forward from a, a genuine standpoint that is concerned about a person's individual rights, whether that's freedom of speech, uh, freedom of of the press to cover government, freedom uh, to assemble peaceably, freedom to to bear arms for your personal protection. We have to get back to basics about why those rights are important to us, and we have to show folks that we are responsible to use those rights. And one of the great things about the American experiment is that the United States recognized in writing that those rights were given to people, not by people agreeing to write them on paper, but before the Bill of Rights were even created, the folks recognized that those rights were endowed by the creator to, to each of us and that the bill of rights was a bill of protection to keep government from taking those inalienable rights away from Americans and Alaskans. And so I think 
I'm going to be on guard and, and definitely communicate more about like why our rights are important and why it's very, very important to uh, utilize those rights responsibly. And, and folks that think that somehow they were exercising whatever right they had and actions taken today in Washington, D.C. are sadly mistaken. Um, they committed crimes when they entered the Capitol in the way that they did, and they should be punished. Just like every BLM protester who looted and destroyed and, and broke property should be prosecuted. Um, folks who broke the law need to be responsible for breaking the law and they need to be held to account. I, I agree with you. Um, my question is, is it more appropriate to break into a the, the, the house of a legislative office or into a private business? If you're going to say which one is worse, which one is which one which one is at least you could say, well, you know, at least they were. I don't know. I'm trying to find a silver lining here. Yeah, um, I'm not going to play that game. They're both wrong. They're, they're both against the law. Like, if we're a nation of laws, and we certainly have heard a lot in Alaska in the last year or two about, like, follow the law. Um, if we are a nation of laws and we want to be law-abiding folks, then we have to obey the law. And they can't be okay for one group to do it this time and another group to do it another time and and uh, then you just say, well, what about this and what about that? As we now Monday morning quarterback the whole thing. That doesn't work. I'm just you saying at least they say, were government buildings. What's that? At least they were government buildings. These weren't mom and pop businesses. You know, right. you're not you're not endangering anyone's livelihood, certainly by by breaking into a business. But four people lost their lives today. A hundred, hundred percent. Four, four people will not be making it home for dinner tonight. No, that otherwise probably would have made it home for dinner tonight. Yeah. So I don't, I don't know what the answer is, Jesse. And I, I, I do appreciate your time, and I, I do appreciate your thoughts on the matter. And uh, like I said for years, I'm grateful that you are one of the grown-ups in the room when the decisions are made. Um, well, thanks, Bill. I, I, I appreciate the opportunity to to just uh, have a little bit of of a decision making power on the assembly or, or whoever um, whoever might might listen. But the one thing I think that is most important is we have to be responsible for the information that we take in and the information that we we put out. And we need to make sure that we're responsible for, for telling the truth and the whole truth. And uh, I think the whole truth of, of this matter is, is that we can all do better as people to make sure that we are, are being responsible for our own actions and uh, not just seeking to uh, lay off blame on someone else when, when things don't go our way. So Jesse, um, by the way, Jake, thank you very much for uh, for joining us a little bit late, but thank you uh, for being here. Um, I came here specifically just to blame Jesse Bjorkman for all my problems. I've heard that. Yeah, some some people do try to uh, do try to take that route. So um, you brought up the uh, local assembly. What are some of the major issues you think um, the assembly is going to be facing in twenty twenty one? The, the biggest issue is the budget and the financial picture uh, at the state and borough level. Uh, we'll continue to navigate 
um, those issues and how we fund the functions of government that people care about. Uh, and at the federal level, ultimately, the functions of government that we are most responsible for and uh, are the biggest uh, things that affect the public are education, roads, and the dump. And figuring uh, out how we can fund those things and deliver quality products to our residents. Sorry for the interruption in the podcast, but I have to make mention of Iron Asylum special going on until January 31st. Now, that special is $500 for the year or $1,500 for a family of up to five. For more information, give Iron Asylum a call at 907-953-4720. All right, back to Bjorkman. This is the number one. Tax tax the eagles because they're the ones using the dump the most um if you've ever been there you've seen like it's yeah. it's an eagle yeah no doubt like, yeah if we can get them, like yeah if we can get them running on treadmills and then like work out like a thing with hea um that would be awesome um i like i'm late to this conversation so if you guys have already gone over this like i'm sorry but um what is it like being an assembly member in a COVID world? Like, it was wild, man. It was, well, for me, it was very interesting to try to navigate because I had been trying to open up assembly meetings for so long. And then I had people um, that kept flip-flopping on, on me about whether or not they were going to support my attempts to restore some kind of in-person access to assembly meetings. So it felt like it was kind of like trying to nail jello to a wall for, for them to provide um, some access, which was wildly frustrating. Um, it's a shame that it wasn't done sooner, but I'm very, very thankful that we have in-person access back. Um, and our first in-person access meeting was, was last night. And it went off without a hitch. So uh, that was great. It was it was great. Um, but yeah, lots. Boy, when when things initially went south in March, spent a lot of time talking with business owners and trying to get people lined out with how they apply for federal dollars and making sure that people understood how the the state process worked for those programs so lots of lots of time on the phone with people who are really concerned uh really concerned about losing their their livelihood and uh how everything impacted them in a very deeply personal way because their their livelihoods were were being severely severely uh cut down is there any data on what the actual impact is like do we i mean i because i i've uh i used to live in seattle and i know a bit of the data on like my friends and neighbors and their uh the businesses they had and whatnot is there any actual like is there any analytics on what like how many businesses have had to shut down or what is the actual impact at the moment there is some uh jake i haven't looked at it recently but tim dillon with the kenai peninsula economic development district put out a couple of surveys um back when things were 
pretty wild in the spring and early summer about how people were being impacted. And, and I'm, if I had to guess, I haven't looked recently, but I, if I had to guess that information is up on the CAPED website where they've, they really compiled some good data, but as far as. So more, deferring is your superpower. Yeah. Any <laughs> deadpans it. So, um, but yeah, no, as far as I know, that's the data that's been collected. I think what you'll see at the state level is you're going to see um, economists like Musin Gutabi from ICER and, and others give similar presentations to the state legislature as well. So I'm looking forward to seeing more of that complete data at the state level come from those folks. Um, but the great thing that we have going on at Kenai is uh, Tim Dillon with Cape Head really rocked it, getting folks financial help that they needed here on the Kenai Peninsula. And we like, we knocked it out of the park as far as making sure that people had information that they needed. As long as they like took some effort to seek out information, I'm pretty sure they were able to get the information and get economic help that they needed. And if not, um, there's a new round of uh, the PPP federal program out right now that we can get information out to people if, if they still need some help with their businesses and uh, to get to get folks um, kind of back. It's not going to make them whole. It's not going to not going to make them rich, but it'll help a little bit to, to mitigate some impacts of what we see happening still because people are making different choices in a, in a COVID world, and you know business owners are going to have to adjust just like lots of folks uh, i mean everybody's adjusting it's uh crazy yeah i started wiping my butt with bills oh. <laughs> save on the toilet paper but anyway sure. sorry. so i have a quick question um you mentioned earlier uh the budget and education with schools being closed um to in-person learning for half the year Will there be an effect on uh, next year's school budget? And if so, what are the potentials that we might be looking at? Well, I think the biggest effect that the, our local school district will see on their budget is declining enrollment um, because people have made different choices about how they want to do education for a number of different reasons. Um, so on, on either side of the spectrum, whether they are really, really conscious about um, their risk level for, with the virus or folks don't want to wear a mask or folks are just uh, not not comfortable with any uncertainty. The district has seen declining enrollment um, at brick and mortar schools um, and students moving out of the district in general. So so that's going to be the biggest impact uh, to um, district funding formulas that happen um, that they'll see because of declining enrollment. There was some cost savings um, experienced last spring. Um, the, those cost savings will be, uh, should be kind of similar this year. We did have school, in-person school for most of uh, first quarter here this year. So we, we did have school for, for two months. Um, but the, the cost savings, you know, teachers have been teaching. I probably work as a teacher more hours than I ever have uh, during this scenario. Um, it seems like I'm constantly emailing or calling back and forth with kids. Uh, 
but uh, yeah, there, there will be some some impacts to be sure, just because people are making different decisions about their their children's education, and that makes a lot of sense for those people. As a, a teacher, because that's one of the other hats you wear, uh, not just a, a borough assemblyman, but you're also an educator. Um, how has the transition gone in a COVID world? Like, was this anything that you had at any point considered prior to becoming an educator? Anything like this? No, I don't think I don't think anyone um, realized that. Hey, you're going to go on spring break and then all of a sudden you're going to have uh, online education only and try to deliver that to students who have never um, been an online student before. That's just uh, an, an impossible expectation for those students to uh, do be able to do that successfully. But lots of students were able to make the transition because kids are so resilient and so uh, adaptable, um, and many kids weren't. And it's that's the, the bad part about this whole deal is the the ability to reach kids on a personal level becomes much more difficult when you're separated by technology. Um, but, you know, you are a phone call away or, or an email away. Or, um, but that's that's pretty far for, for many students who don't have technological access or they don't necessarily have um, support in their homes to make sure that they're being responsible and making good choices as uh, adolescents, middle and high schoolers. Yeah. Did you shave every day as a, as a teacher in a, in a COVID world or you just you had a nice beard? I don't shave every day in a normal world. No, I had a seventh grade teacher who explained to me uh, that the time in his life that he wasted shaving as a young man. And, and that's how he rationalized only shaving like two days a week. I thought that was a good model. He, he, he bought the thing during Halloween. You can even see like the little elastic straps. <laughs> no. Um, Okay, so oh my gosh, there's there's so much to unravel here. Um, okay, uh, as far as as far as teaching in a like being an, an educator in a COVID world, um, do you feel there's an advantage for being like a, an experienced teacher who's used to the classroom setting, or like if you're just coming in, like? Um, and like, you haven't, like, you don't have, you're still figuring yourself out. Um, like, do you think uh, the COVID world, do you think it, uh, like your, your older elderly teachers have an advantage over your younger teachers, or do you think your newer teachers have like sort of a technological advantage or whatever it may be, or is it a mixed bag? Yeah, it's, it's, it really depends. I think from my own experience. So I've been teaching for 12 years. Um, so it's not forever. Hey, time for you to go teach on the farm. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the biggest thing that I have found that's worked really well for me is to pick up my phone and call people. That's the, like the number one, like superpower that I have as a, a distance educator, or even as an educator that I have kids in my classroom is if I can pick up the phone and call a parent or, you know, 
because COVID has kind of changed expectations of, of time and some people have wildly different opinions of this, you know, um, but I don't care if a kid has my cell phone number. It's, it's public anyway for, for borough stuff or whatever. So everybody has my phone number. Um, send me a text. Let me know you have an issue and uh, I'll get back to you right away and we can talk later, set up a time. But I can't help you unless I know that you need help. And I find that out by kids reaching out to me or their parents. But ultimately, I find I find out a lot of that stuff by just calling and saying, "Hey, how how are you doing?" I noticed that you you look you had a confused look when I when I mentioned this idea, or I haven't seen you know your response to these questions. And, and what questions do you have? How can I help you? And and those types of just uh, being able to communicate and letting folks know that you're here and you, you want to help as, as best you can. Like that's been, that's been the most important thing for me, but throughout all this, I've really learned a lot more about like educational technology that works and mm-hmm. educational technology that does not work at all. And Number of munchers. <laughs> yeah. The, the, the green globs. Yes. Um, so you're one of those obnoxious teachers that care. I think all teachers care. Yeah, I think all teachers care a lot, and I think uh, some teachers are probably a little bit more uh, good at a different type of love. Care. I, you know, growing up, I preferred the teacher that was just phoning it in, like the one that was like, "Hey, here's like, here's <laughs> like, here's a documentary on World War II. That's history class." Yeah. Here's here's a Ken Burns film. <laughs> I tell you what, you could you could you could actually teach a lot um, by just teaching through some Ken Burns stuff. But you got to press that pause button and then have some real life conversations about you, what the heck's going on. Man. Were you around in the day where they had to wheel the TV into the classroom? Oh, absolutely, Jake. I was around in the day we uh, we had a pool. We would actually watch like film strips. Oh my gosh. We'd have a pool like, oh, yeah, they had all kinds of great technology. We'd have a pool on whether or not the film strip, the projector would catch on fire. <laughs> and so like these things would actually like melt down and like smoke and like fire. So everybody put it. If we were watching a movie, you pass around a little thing and you put a buck in there. <laughs> then if it was your day, you won the pot. And then if it didn't catch on fire, it just rolled over the next time. This is the best education your children can get, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> that was when I was in school. I don't do that. <laughs> um, are you excited about going back to the classroom? Oh, man. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah, my students are super excited. They're stoked, and it's going to be great. It's going to be great to get kids back in classrooms. I have a few concerns about some things, like they want kids to wear masks outside at recess ridiculous um they want kids to to wear masks during sports which i don't know it's uh, I, I i hope that we can get some movement on those expectations that are unrealistic and ultimately self-defeating when you have kids that are are uh, trying to exercise wearing a mask even folks who have had mask mandates in gyms they realize that's ridiculous 
So I will say that at one point I was the idiot that spent like a hundred plus dollars on one of those elevation masks to work <laughs> on that looked like a gas mask. Yeah. You screw on like different levels of resistance <laughs> and it just, it just made it hard to breathe. It just made it so like someone was suffocating you um, running, um, running around with a, with a paper mask on is just, it's kind of self-defeating. I, it's not doing anyone any favors, I, I think. And right. I'm not smart. I'm admittedly dumb as a rock or dumber. That's not No, I, I do not concur with that. But I think when you put you put a bunch of elementary school kids out on a playground and say, hey, keep your mask on, and they're out and it's like 10 degrees outside, that thing is going to get chock full of oh. snot, spittle, and it's cold. And that thing is going to get sopping wet, full of snow and like then you're gonna have that kid same kid wear that same mask inside come on uh, it's just that doesn't that doesn't even like pass common sense yeah so I, <laughs> just, trade it like donruss cards what's that trade them like donruss cards right yeah that'd be bad yeah um so you you've come kind on. of given us some of your concerns about um going back and then some of the things that you were excited about one of the things that you mentioned at the very beginning of the podcast that i didn't dive into but i'm glad jake is here now so you can get part of that early conversation you mentioned that nothing has been seen like what happened today in dc since perhaps andrew jackson could you uh explain that for me so yeah jackson um, when he was elected, he was kind of, he billed himself as like the common man's president, um, really developed a, a, a following of his own soldiers and, and kind of his war reputation from the, uh, the battle of new Orleans there, uh, as well as other Indian wars that he had fought before that. Um, and he, he was kind of, you know, billed as, uh, a president for the working man. And so when he was elected, they, they operated under a system where a president's political supporters would get federal jobs. So it's a spoil system. So to the victor go the spoils. So uh, people showed up at the White House saying, hey, Uncle Andy, I support you for president. Uh, I want a job. And so that's what happened. Like, uh, there you hear stories of people just storming the White House and uh, walking off with toilets and uh, everything else out of out of the White House. Um, so as it should be. Yeah. I wonder, are they gold? Are they gold toilets in the White House now? Well, they're doing renovations uh, and, and they're going to have to do some serious renovations, apparently, when the Bidens move in. I, now, I don't know if Trump. We've seen President Trump brought these gold toilets with him. Um, I, I know that he's, you know, he's he's big on the gold. He's big on the Cheeto dust. He's big on all kinds of those tints and tones. Whether or not he brought a toilet with uh, like a like a gold bidet, no idea. No, actually, what he did, he's one of the people that crossed over before he built the wall had to take one of those gold sharpies. And paint all the toilets. Not cool. <laughs> um, not cool. So I, man, I don't know. Uh, may I ask a, a Bob Penny question and, and a question about your sure. one of your other? 
one of your many other occupations, because you've got a long resume that we never touched on. And so the, the intro for the podcast is going to be pretty fun with that. Um, you're also a commercial fisherman. Now, a recent ruling came from, uh, and please stop me when I'm wrong, from the Dunleavy administration or with the participa participation of the Dunleavy administration um, that was a very clearly benefited the Kenai Sport Fishing Association. Um, and in an indirect way, uh, their, their um, Lord Farquaad himself, Mr. Bob Penny. Now, this is the same Bob Penny who uh, six months ago, if you go back to a, a recent podcast we just unearthed, Bob Penny's grandson, uh, Clark Penny, was awarded a few hundred thousand dollar contract with uh, marketing for the state of Alaska. I don't know. Um, can we talk about a little bit about Bob Penny and and what he means to commercial fishermen in the area and what this ruling means? Sure. So I guess to I don't I don't think the last word has been spoken yet uh, either by the, the the Ninth Circuit Federal Court, which issued a decision, which it'll take a long time to explain, but um, issued a decision which was delayed and delayed in implementation by the uh, North Pacific Marine Fisheries uh, Council. Um, and then at the last minute when they were up against their time deadline, after they had delayed for years, for years in formulating a plan, they said, oh, we can't have a plan. And so they just closed this part of the fishery. Um, so I, I, this is going back to the courts and it's going to be uh, continued to be litigated. Um, but really, uh, really a bad deal for the Kenai Peninsula and a large sector of the economy here um, that the commercial fisheries have been a part of for over 100 years. Um, and so what uh, the Dunleavy administration supported was basically closing off the vast majority of productive waters that the Cook Inlet Drift Fleet fishes for salmon um, in the, the, the months of June and July and August. So, uh, yeah, it's, uh, that, that's kind of what that decision is. Uh, Bob Penny has made no secret that he wants commercial fishing shut down in Cook Inlet. And that part of the economy, um, according to Bob Penny, he wants to disappear from the Kenai Peninsula. And uh, I don't understand. Um, well, I do understand why he wants that to happen, because he thinks it will financially benefit him and his friends, um, which is which is understandable. However, uh, on the whole, economically, uh, from the Kenai Peninsula standpoint, the fisheries can exist and coexist and they should coexist because I just lost Jesse. Yeah, good. I, I'm just going to assume that's Bob Penny. Yes, there are plenty yeah, of there fish to support. Bob Penny on Alaska yeah. Communications. Bob Penny has a lag switch. Dude, yeah, I'm Bob telling. Penny and Alaska Communications, they are working <laughs> and Al Gore. Yeah. To keep you from telling us what they are trying to do. Um mm -hmm. Don't, don't send Bill down this path. <laughs> He'll never come back. Yeah. So, Bob Penny to, doesn't believe in flat earth. <laughs> just to wrap up, um, yeah, the, the fisheries can coexist 
and they should coexist because economically, um, those are the big, big drivers for our our economy here on the Kenai Peninsula. And as long as people have realistic expectations about what those fisheries are and what they should do, um, those fisheries can coexist. But why sport fishers seem to uh, not want to coexist with commercial fishermen is they, they are not happy with the rate at which they catch fish all the time. I was going to say, have no. you sat in a boat for six hours knowing that yes. like the nets are out and you're not catching anything because they're getting all of them? That's not true. That, like, that's not true. Ah, this is good. So I, I have sat on the Kenai River many for many hours. Uh, kingfishing in boats, I have uh, flipped for reds on the Kenai River for, for many hours. Snag, and, you can say snag, it's fine. Sure. Um, so when there are a lot of fish, everyone catches fish. Yeah. Like that's, that's just how fishing works. But when there aren't a lot of fish, um, the commercial fishermen aren't catching many fish either. Like that's, that's the whole deal. So I'm somehow, um, because people don't have a great understanding about how commercial fishing works in the inlet, but we get this idea um, passed around that commercial fishermen catch all the fish, which is simply not true. You have, you know, my dad, he, he was commenting to me as I was talking to him over Christmas. He's like, it's like taking a teaspoon of water out of the ocean and blaming you for drying up the whole ocean. I'm like, oh yeah. Cause he's seen how fishing works. Like he knows, like I can put my net out and I can let that net sit in the water for an hour and a half and catch two fish or maybe no fish. And, and that's that's how fishing goes. And at the same time, um, you can fish for reds on the bank of the Kenai River in two hours, and you can catch 18 fish or 20 fish at a time, or you can catch no fish, you know, by, by just one person, you know. So I've been I've been kind of like uh, like all joking aside because I've been kind of navigating you to this question. Um, so there's the commercial fish versus sports fish. I don't know why it's a fight or it's a battle, but it is. Um, and I, I assume it's economic um, and influence. Um, how do we solve the problem? Like, if it's not like if both, uh, like if both participants really aren't damaging the runs, um, they're you know they're no one's really hurting anything like if that's the thing so is it um is it a thing of is it just uh is it just a smear campaign from each side is it uh is one actually hurting the salmon runs and the other isn't um are they both hurting everything are they both like just fine like what is where do we get to that that fine world where um you know like, like, where do we bring these guys together where sport sure. fish and calm fish like can like sing together kumbaya? I think I think to fully like investigate that question, I could probably talk for a couple of hours, but just in, in two minutes, um, I think ultimately people need to manage their expectations about what the fishery can do for them. And that that applies for everyone whether you are a uh, personal use dip net fisherman, uh, whether you are a guide, whether you are privately a private fisherman um, or a commercial fisherman, a drifter or a set netter, 
people need to realize that you have a resource there that you have to manage correctly or it won't come back. And so who, which user groups have taken action in the fishery to negatively impact that fishery in the past? Um, and so you hear people talk about a mixed stock fishery. So you got different kinds of salmon going up the rivers um, at overlapping times, which makes it hard to manage each species. And so the Department of Fish and Game has a difficulty managing the king salmon run along with the sockeye or red salmon run. And that, that causes problems. So let's talk about a little bit of what has changed in the last 60 years in regards to the, the Kenai River in particular. Well, so before statehood, you had um, very industrialized salmon interests that ran fish traps. And those fish traps took an enormous amount of salmon out of the system and endangered runs because they were harvesting unsustainably. Bad. Statehood Act comes along and a big part of getting statehood passed for Alaska was, we're gonna ban salmon traps. Great, and they should have, and they did. And they instituted different systems of, of fishing in Cook Inlet and around the state. That's awesome. That was an improved change. Um, while they did ban salmon traps, you still had commercial drift fishermen out in the inlet fishing. And, and uh, then you had people fishing set nets on the beach. And, and fishing under those sets of circumstances brought salmon back to record runs. And it took a while to, to build those up. Um, we saw those types of runs happen in the 80s and and uh, even in the 19, or I'm sorry, the, the early uh, 2010s, where we had record runs to Cook Inlet and the Kenai River. Talking about uh, king salmon, uh, what's changed in king salmon? It's in river pressure. It's the uh, amount of people that are fishing for king salmon and keeping and, and retaining king salmon in the river. Um, you've had set nets now out for decades in, in Cook Inlet and uh, King salmon returns were, were strong and uh, they were, were, were managed pretty well. But now you, you go to a hole, um, the heart of the king salmon run, when king salmon fishing is open, and uh, you might have 60 to 80 boats at a crossover hole down from Eagle Rock. That's insane. That's an insane amount of fishing pressure. So a guide, a very reputable guide, I won't use his name here, but he told me, um, and they could, they could collect this data when the state was interested in, in being honest about this data the commercial i'm sorry the guide fleet they're commercial because they sell their trips right the guide fleet with bait fishing for king salmon they catch 75 percent of all the king salmon that come up the river on the tide 75 percent of all the fish that come in the river on the tide the guide fleet catches with bait that's an incredible amount of fish likely an unsustainable amount of fish and so that guide pressure on the river is the big change factor that's happened since 1980 that's caused king salmon decline and you see that with the first run of king salmon because the commercial fisheries they haven't fished that june run of king salmon on the kenai river for decades and it's almost non-existent now um so i think ultimately when i look at uh, conservation measures and, and who has lost opportunity to harvest the resource. Uh, commercial fishermen by far have lost out on much, a much larger percentage of their opportunity to harvest the resource than sport fishermen. I think if you look at from just a strictly conservation standpoint and, and who, who is taking a, the lion's share of, of fish 
returning to the river um, and an increased pressure. I think that the data is is clear on, on what's caused those those changes to occur. Um, but ultimately, you know, fishing's fishing. It's not catching. You can't fill a boat full of four four clients or six clients and say, hey, we're going to fish for reds and you're going to get a limit in an hour every time you go out. That just doesn't happen. So, but if you have the mindset of, well, if I'm not catching fish, someone else is catching my fish, then you have just fomented continued conflict and you're not, you're not going to solve anything. But if you can manage expectation, Hey, we're out here fishing. We're having a good time. We're enjoying the beautiful Kenai river and, and all the great scenery and, and what we're a part of as this ecosystem, then that's great. Then I think you can sell trips and you don't have to make fishing about a meat haul. So whiners, basically the problem is whiners. Well, I think that the problem is people don't don't realize what what a great thing they have on the Kenai River, yeah. and how that we can work together to have a great economy based on a, a multiple use fishery. But when when you constantly are are sowing seeds of well, if you're not catching fish, someone else caught your fish, whether that's a set net or a drift net or someone in Kodiak or a high seas trawler all of which have, have impacts and, and we need to talk about, but how, how like do we I said, fix that it's, it's though. a couple hours. How do we fix that? Like, like I, I mean, I, you know, I, I know it's like, that's such like, that's the simplest question that is also the most complicated question in the world. But like, how do you, how do you, how do you make people not be greedy? Uh, I, I don't have an easy question. I don't have an easy answer for that. I mean, I'm a boxing coach. I just hit him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, and that's that's the ultimate issue that you deal with here, right? Is is yeah. how how much is enough? Well, I just you know I just spent I just spent like two thousand dollars on a round trip ticket to Alaska. Um, I'm staying in a hundred and fifty dollar a night hotel for three weeks. I'm gonna go drop like three grand on this guide, and then like I don't even catch a red. Standing, if you're not catching a red, you need it. You need to do something different. I mean, <laughs> that's that's bad. So, but what 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 the the guided fishing industry in Alaska has become is is not necessarily guided fishing, but you know, a, a guarantee to catch fish and have a meat haul. And uh, if if folks are just coming up here for fillets, I mean, shoot, they can find someone to sell them fillets. But man, enjoy fishing. Enjoy your trip. I, I guess. That's, yeah, a, that's such a great point because um because you can go to Safeway and get a fillet for like sixteen dollars and ninety nine cents, um, which is still way too much. You can swing by a cannery and pick up a fish for like six or seven bucks. Um, but um, yeah, no, I think you make a great point. Like, come up and enjoy the experience. Yeah, so many people are just interested in in, in having a meat haul, and that means they got to like bonk a king salmon and kill a king salmon, and they're like, why would you do that? Like, I don't understand. I don't understand. You got this, this awesome fish, 60, 70 pound fish a lot of times, and you're going to kill it after it's lived six or seven years for, for what you can eat all the red salmon you want. There's, there's, they're all over the place. Why would you kill that fish and not let it spawn and come back so that you could catch its ancestors and your grandkids could catch that you know, that, that fish's descendants, uh, for years to come. I, that's a struggle that I have. And I, I'm a big fan of, uh, 
catch and release fishing for for those giant king salmon as well as giant king salmon on the Kasilov River because it's sustainable and uh, science has shown that and there's lots of other fish in the sea to eat. And also what you can do, my family's trick, if you want that thrill of fighting a king salmon, um, you can just, we used to do this to like, because we we lived on Poacher's Cove in like the early days where you were only allowed to have like a trailer on there, like right on the river. Um, And to bug my neighbor, we used to always tie a a big rock on the end of our line and float down with the rock so like the pulls over and someone's holding the net up like you got it so so he thought like we were just like slamming the king salmon all the time but anyway the fight is almost the same so if you like if you want the experience just put a big rock on the end of like your line dip it in the water and then just hold on while someone drifts back in the boat (laughs) yeah yeah it's uh it's good times and um and honestly like right now we have an abundance of rocks so you don't have to catch and release the rock there's a facebook group keeni rocks they can even paint stuff for you i don't know if you've seen any of their keeni rocks there are some fun fine folks who spent a lot of st- a lot of time locked up in their covid world painting some rocks i saw some art I saw some yeah art. like if you can catch yourself a well painted rock um, but release it. Yes. Back into the, because there's going to, there's only limited amount. Yeah, there's a travel shortage. You might bring that up to the uh, material site work group. They could, you know, get those rocks released into some gravel pit near them. That'd be good. Can you, can you set up an ordinance to protect these rocks? No, absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I actually, I do have an interesting question. And this is um, because I, I consider, left. what? We have two minutes left because I've got okay. the cheap free version of Zoom. So, so well, be awesome because yeah, because I, I I want it to go out through half your question before you get a full answer. Um, so, uh, as a conservative, um, I don't know if you consider yourself more like Republican or Libertarian. Um, the in this time of COVID, all the relief and the stimulus, uh, do you find yourself? Do you find that this is actually a good point in which the government should release money and compensation? Or do you feel this is the time where, like, it's one of those, like, dude, if you want to make money, you got to do it yourself? It's a good, that's a great question and a huge concern. I think that the, the government should definitely compensate people when they are asking people to shut down their businesses to benefit public health. That I think is a completely legitimate use of of government funds so that you can preserve public health. Whether or not that's necessary or not is a whole different question. Um, and uh, I would say largely not necessary right now, um, based on what we know right now. I think that relief going out that is not needs-based at all, everyone gets $600 or $1,200 or $2,000, no, that doesn't uh, like that doesn't do it for me. That's just uh, that's inflationary, and that money has to come from somewhere. Um, the debt is kind of imaginary at this point, right? Um, but um, more money in the system means that things are 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 worth less. So it's, it definitely has to be a balance. If anything, compensate people for benefiting public health. Yes, overall blanket uh, making it rain on folks. No. I'm so glad 
I'm so glad you're one of the representatives. You, you are. Thank you for coming on the podcast, uh, Representative Bjorkman, Assemblyman Bjorkman, uh, the grown up in the room. Um, <laughs> I, I appreciate your time, sir. Thanks for having me, Bill and Jake. It was nice to meet you over Zoom. And uh, yeah, let's do this again. As per 3AAC 306.360, Alaska Marijuana Control Board Cannabis Use Warning A. Marijuana has intoxicating effects and may be habit-forming and addictive. B. Marijuana impairs concentration, coordination, and judgment. Do not operate a vehicle or machinery under its influence. C. There are health risks associated with consumption of marijuana. D. For use by adults 21 and older, keep out of the reach of children and E. Marijuana should not be used by women who are pregnant or breastfeeding.